would turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians. As you may be aware by now, we are working our way through the book of 2 Thessalonians approximately once a month on Sunday nights. And we are coming this evening to chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. But I want for you to turn to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to do something different this evening. We are going to read the entire book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, according to the internet, and we can always trust the internet, it only takes seven minutes to read through the book. So, you, so we might, this might be, Mrs. Snow, this might be 22 mes- minute message instead of 15. She was teasing me earlier about that. So, we are going to pick it up in verse 1. I'll tell you why, why I'm doing it this evening. The text that we're going to look at, if we didn't see it in the context, we would think, Paul is just giving us a bunch of commands. Just telling us to do stuff. So I want us to, to get this in the context of why is he giving these commands What is the motivation that should motivate us to do what Paul commands? And there's a second reason, and this is maybe a more important reason. When the Thessalonians first received this letter, do you think they took it one paragraph at a time and then waited a month and then read another paragraph? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the first day they got it, they read it in its entirety. So I think it is a good exercise for us to do from time to time, and it's easy to do with a short book. Not so easy to do with the book of Romans, or the book of Leviticus. I think I might run you off if I start reading the book of Leviticus. So, beginning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, 
and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation, and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. Chapter 3. Finally, brethren, Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And here begins our text for this evening. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15 here in chapter 3. Before we dig in, let's pause and ask the Lord's help as we look at this passage. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed to us who you are, that you are a great God, a holy God, a powerful God, but also that you are a loving God. That you have revealed in your word that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you this evening specifically for the book of 2 Thessalonians. We thank you for the truth that you had the Apostle Paul write to this church in Thessalonica. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to glean this evening from these ten verses what you would have us to understand and to apply to our lives. We ask it in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I said, we're working our way through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now I've titled our series, Faithful Till He Comes. So we, in the first half of the book, Paul lays out what it is that we have to look forward to. That we look forward to the coming of Christ. We look forward to the day when Christ is victorious over evil. And we look forward to the day when we get to be participants in Christ's glory. And then, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 2, Paul turns away from teaching to exhortation, to giving commands, because of those realities that we have to look forward to. Day, this is how we should live. We should be 
faithful until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This evening, I want for us to see from these ten verses this simple truth. If we desire to be faithful until he comes, we must be willing. Come on. We must be willing to work. There. Yeah. There it is. We must be willing to work. It's, it's bad when you, 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 you're planning that I'm going to click the button right as I say these words, and then either my thumb or maybe I'll blame it on the remote, but whatever the case. We must be willing to work. If we desire to be faithful till Jesus Christ comes, we must be willing to work. And like I said, if you just took that by itself and said, we must be willing to work, there's no hope in that statement. There's no joy in that statement. There's drudgery in that statement. But it's because of what we have to look forward to that we have motivation to work. So let's look at these ten verses. And I want us for us to see three components of our need to work. So first component we see is in verses 6 through 9. And that is we must follow the example of the diligent. Look with me in verses 6 through 9. Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So first Paul gives us a negative example. He says, Withdraw yourself from these who walk disorderly. Avoid those who walk disorderly. Now what does he mean by disorderly. Well, he really means disorderly. He means someone who's walking in a way that is not characterized by order. Now, as we'll see as we work through this text, it very likely is a result of not working. And we can understand that. In our homes... My home is very small, but I do have a home. I rent a room, and I understand what it, that to have an orderly room means that I have to work. So those projects are sometimes small, but it still requires work. And if you don't do those little projects, you don't do the work, your, your home increasingly becomes more disorderly. Um, I was in a home recently that was characterized more by disorder than by order. Now, in that case, I don't know that the fault was that someone was not willing to work. But often, they go together. Disorder is often a result of not working. 
So I think that's the main thing that Paul has in mind here when he talks about these brother that, brothers that walk dis, disorderly. Not after the tradition or, as we're going to see in the coming verses, the example which he received of us. So, these believers, he calls them brothers, these believers are not living in an orderly fashion. They're not living, ultimately, they're not living in a biblical way because our God is a God of order. And we are called to reflect that order. But let's move on to verse 7. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. So Paul is giving himself, along with Silvanus and Timothy, as an example to these Thessalonian believers. You know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. So Paul is saying, you have us as an example of how you should be living your life. When Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were in Thessalonica, they were working night and day for the benefit of these Thessalonian believers. They were bringing the gospel to them. Now, Paul doesn't say here what kind of work they were doing. He might be talking about, we know that Paul had sort of a side business that helped him make money that was making tents. Perhaps that's what Paul is talking about here. He's working night and day on making tents so that he can support his own needs so that the church, the believers in Thessalonica, didn't have to pay him. That could be what he's talking about. Or he may just be talking about being diligent, working in sharing the gospel, preaching to these Thessalonian believers to... um, I don't know exactly how they went about bringing people in, maybe going out in the streets, telling people, hey, come such and such a time. Paul's going to be explaining about this one called Jesus. I don't know. But the point that Paul's making is that they were diligent, that they weren't just sitting around idle, but they were working. They were working night and day. He says, end of verse 8, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. In other words, he did not, they did not want to be a burden to the Thessalonian believers, to this new church there. Now, I had to, as I was working through this passage, I had to think about my own life. And I was like, in a, in a very real way, I rely on the generosity of this church to be where I am today. So am I violating this example set by the Apostle Paul? And I would say no, as long as I am not simply living off the money that you give me and then 
not doing anything. If I were doing that, well, if I were doing that, according to verse 6, you need to avoid me. That, and we'll, we'll see later on, down at the end of this passage, you need to rebuke me. You need to admonish me. That's, that is where we as believers are supposed to be. We are supposed to be working. And especially for those of us who are working for the local church, and I say that, all of us are working for the local church, but some of us are working more for the local church in the sense of more time that we can invest. We are maybe especially accountable to actually work. Because, but it's the same for any of us. And that's why Paul is giving himself as an example. But the reason he gives himself as an example is because he wants all the people to follow. Because any one of us can be tempted to say, well, my boss isn't watching right now. I, I, can, I can slough off. I don't have to work so hard right now. Well, Paul is saying, no, you, you shouldn't be a burden to that person. You need to work faithfully. So number one, we must follow the example of the diligent. Let's consider a second component of our need to work. In verses 10 through 13. Oh, I had one other comment before I move on. In verse 9, he mentions, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. That word power is, can also be translated authority. Paul is saying that as an apostle, as one who is specially sent by God to spread the gospel, he had the authority. He could say, it's vacation time. So, I'm going to go over to Thessalonica, and those believers there are going to provide for my vacation. Could have said that. He had that authority. But he wasn't going to use that authority. He wasn't going to abuse that authority. He was going to set the example for the believers work faithfully. Now moving on to our second point. We must desire to provide for ourselves. Look at verse 10 with me. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. I was talking to someone just a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the founding of our country and that it was founded on this principle that if you don't work, you don't eat, which is true. I believe that was, was that John Smith? Okay, I'm not going to be sure on my history here. But it was, our country was founded on that principle. But I had the joy of telling that man, did you know 
does that come from the Bible? That principle that he's talking about that our country was founded upon, that principle came from the Bible. Now, I will be quick to say that Paul is not talking here specifically about how countries are to be run. He's talking about how believers in the local church are supposed to work. Maybe there's an application to the government here, but I'm not going to go there. But we know that there is the application that Paul intends here, and that is that if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. And I, f- I find it interesting, the, the way that he forms the command here is not so much that you should not allow me to eat if I don't work. It's something called a third-person imperative, which basically means that Paul is commanding someone who's not there. He's saying, I command that he not eat. I don't know about you, but even if I weren't working, I guess at that point I was, would already be violating Paul's commands. But I don't know that I would listen to his command to not eat. I think I would, I would eat anyways. But Paul is making a point here that if you're going to participate in the blessings, in the provisions, you need to participate in the work to provide those, those blessings, those provisions. Here's the way I put it. We must not live off of others' generosity if we are able to work. And there is a key word in here. It is the word would, if any would not work. The word would means willing. If any is not willing to work. We're not saying if you're physically unable to work, you still have to work. We're not going to feed you otherwise. That's not what we're saying. We're saying if you, have the, if you don't have the desire to work, the desire to provide for yourself, then you should not eat. So we must not live off of others' generosity if we are able to work. But look at verses 11 and 12 with me. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So these people are busy. Calls them busybodies, but they're not working. They're busy getting involved in other people's business, but they're not working. They're not providing for their own needs. He continues, verse 12, Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So we must work to supply for our own needs, if possible. Then moving on to verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And this verse in particular is one that I think we need the context of the entire book to be able to understand this verse. Because otherwise... It's not very encouraging to come up to someone and say, you're discouraged? 
well, stop it. Stop being discouraged. That's basically what, what he says here. If we just take this verse in isolation, he says, be not weary in well-doing. Don't be, don't be discouraged in doing good. Well, by itself, that's not very encouraging. I can tell you all day, don't be discouraged. But I need to give you reasons to not be discouraged. I can't just tell you to not be discouraged. And that's what Paul has done in this entire book. He's given us reasons to be faithful. Reasons that we can be encouraged that there's actually a reason to do this work. So we must not become discouraged in our work. So we've seen, number one, we must follow the example of diligent. Number two, we must desire to provide for ourselves. Number three, we must rebuke those who refuse to work. For this, we'll look at verses 14 and 15. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So he tells us that we must not associate with those who refuse to work. There in verse 14. Note him, have no company with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. The goal is not to cut off ties permanently with him. The purpose that we cease associating with him is so that he will be ashamed of not providing for his own needs and that he'll change his behavior. So we must not associate with them. Now, I do want to make a comment here. A lot of preachers will take verses 14 and 15 and they will apply them much more broadly. They will say, when they'll essentially take them out of context and just say, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, and they'll say, well, that's anything that Paul said in his epistle. Well, I think he's specifically talking about these lazy, this laziness, this idleness. But I will say this, that if Paul commands you to separate from someone they're not working it's even more likely and there are other verses that teach this that we should separate from those who disobey other commands what we would consider to be more important commands in scripture or who deny clear biblical teachings And our response to them is really the same that it is, or should be, to these who are lazy, who are idle. We note them, we have no company with them, so that they will be ashamed. Then verse 15, he says, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Maybe we could put it this way. But don't slander him on social media but count him as a brother. These, even disobedient brothers, 
and sisters in Christ are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we need to treat them like that. We need to show love to them. We need to rebuke them when they need rebuke. We need to admonish them, instruct them, with the purpose that they would be ashamed so that they will change. So we've seen three components of our need to work. We must follow the example of the diligent. We must desire to provide for ourselves. And we must rebuke those who refuse to work. So my challenge for you this evening is quite simple. We need to work. If, if we desire to be faithful till he comes, we must be willing to work. And I don't preach this message to say that you're not working. In fact, the reason I preach this message is not because I chose to preach this message. It's because it came next in the book of 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> and, and, and really, that to me is one of the beautiful things about preaching through a book of the Bible. Because I wouldn't choose to preach this passage on my own. I don't think. Unless there was an issue with it in the church, people not working, and then, then it might be too late to preach that, this passage. So, I'm thankful that the Lord made me preach a passage that I might not have otherwise preached, and I hope it's an encouragement to you to continue to be faithful and to work 